welcome to the world of critical care. Today I want to do a brief episode on arterial lines. I think arterial lines are really critical to understand because it's something where the nurse can have a really big impact on the interpretation of this data because we're the ones who go in there and make sure it's level. We're the ones who set them up. We are the ones who titrate medications off the readings. We also need to really understand our waveform readings and how they could potentially be biasing incorrectly the decisions we make clinically. Now, remember with an arterial line, this is going to be a catheter that is a direct hemodynamic monitoring catheter. So it's going to be placed in an artery. Typically, you're looking at a radial artery is one of your most common choices, followed by a brachial artery and occasionally femoral artery, especially your, your medical trauma type situations. You might see fem lines more often, or if you're in like cardiothoracic surgery and sometimes sternal retraction, maybe they occlude the, or the radial artery. And so because of that, they end up having to use their uh, femoral line. But in general, the radial artery tends to be the most common, followed by the brachial the catheter lengths can vary. So radial artery catheters tend to be shorter. Brachial artery catheters can be rather long, something just to remember, especially during removal. Sometimes we have direct cardiac devices. So we might have like a balloon pump, which is sitting outside your aorta, right? Or an impella, and those can give us direct arterial waveforms. Something to remember about our arterial waveforms is that they vary depending on where our device is measuring. And if you think about it, when the heart initially contracts, we have a nice pressure wave that goes through there. And then we actually have another slight wave that's created when our aortic valve closes. It's that, that dichrotic notch. I would really encourage you to look at a chart at some time to see the waveform differences because the waveform we see on an arterial line actually has to do with what's called systolic amplification. So when the heart beats and pushes blood out through the aorta, it's really just a kind of small hump. And so if you ever look at an aortic root pressure reading, it's kind of a nice, slow, even hump. And then a little bit delayed about halfway as it comes down, we see that little notch for a dichrotic notch. And then it kind of very slowly comes back to baseline. But as that waveform moves throughout the body, what's interesting is that we start to get reflections off the arterial bifurcations and walls as the blood moves through the body. Now, when we get reflections off the wall, off these bifurcations, it actually creates retrograde blood flow. So blood flow normally is antegrade, right? We're moving forwards, but we can actually get retrograde blood flow that's coming off these bifurcations. Now, this meeting of the retrograde and antegrade blood flow throughout the body will amplify the systolic waveform. So actually, the further you get away from that aortic root, the more amplification we get in our art line waveform. And so if you look at a brachial artery, you start to see a little bit more amplification, but it almost looks like it's a little bit 
like you'd look at a brachial art line, and you go, mm, I almost wonder if that's an over-dampened system, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But we start to see the amplification move up, and we see that beginning to end point start to move together. So we're not quite having as much space under the waveform. Of course, as we move to a radial artery, that's where we really start to see the most amount of amplification and narrowing of that waveform. And then that dichrotic notch starts to come at a lower place at the end of that waveform. Now, a femoral artery is interesting because sometimes you don't really see a dichrotic notch. And so it's going to be closer to what we would see with a normal radial artery, but we're not going to have that nice dichrotic notch. Now, it's important, I think, to understand that these pressure readings are not necessarily indicative of systemic flow or think about it as cardiac output. So what I mean is this systolic amplification that occurs, it's largely because of retrograde blood flow, not forward flow. And so always remember what we're most concerned about is our mean arterial pressure. What's interesting is that our mean arterial pressure is almost unchanged when we look at the aortic root all the way to a fem artery or a radial artery. But we could see fairly significant differences in that systolic reading, and that is because of the amplification. Now, remember, our monitors are actually doing a very specific algorithm. So it's actually calculating for MAP the time. It's looking at your QRS, and it's looking at the time under that waveform to determine your MAP. And so remember, it's not doing necessarily that normal map equation, of course, which essentially the, the map equation is, is looking at the assumption that di diastole is two-thirds of the cardiac cycle, right? Systole is one-third, and we do our calculation. But of course, that calculation has some flaws because it assumes a heart is at 60 beats per minute, which of course... That's not very common for all your ICU patients. And so that's why our monitors are actually doing this very specific calculation. And also remember on a blood pressure cuff, it's using an oscillatory method. So it's actually looking at these oscillations to determine the map. And blood pressure cuffs are actually incredibly accurate if you have the right cuff on at getting the map correct. And so a little tangent, but remember that we really want to be super dialed into the map on our arterial lines because even with that increasing amplification, we typically have a correct map. Now, there are certain situations where that amplification can be much worse. So we have really calcified, hardened arteries, of course. That is going to cause an increase in that rebound of those bifurcations and off that arterial wall. And you see that with a lot of your elderly patients who have pretty severe hypertension, really common. There's also some genetic conditions that actually cause arterial stenosing. And so you can see kind of that, again, some of that increased amplification beyond normal. And so the, the way I think about this, too, is there's a great analogy I've read about where it's at the beach. And if you see a beach and you see two different waves coming in and then they converge... And when they converge, it suddenly amplifies and those waves come up and it becomes a much, much bigger wave. That's really what we're thinking about when we think about that arterial waveform. So 
we kind of now understand, okay, this is how our arterial line is reading. These are our different waveforms. We talk about the importance of really understanding the concern for systolic amplification. How do we know, though, that our waveform is reading appropriately? And this, of course, is where we talk about a normal system, an underdampened system, an overdampened system. Now, the arterial lines are working off a resonance system. And so when we have a system that is hyper-resonant, it can distort the pulsations that it's feeling. It, it's transducing, and it leads to an over-amplification of the signals, and that is called an under-dampened system. So under-dampened, you could think of that if you do like audio recordings and you turn your gain up, where you're just hearing everything, that's what you could think of it. It's when you're just turning the gain way up. And the problem is it typically can distort your systolic pressure many times by up to about 20 points, which is pretty significant. I've seen clinical situations where we run cuff pressures and arterial lines, and sometimes there's like 40 plus point differences, but our maps tend to be pretty consistent. The good news, like I said, is in an underdampened system, your mean arterial pressure in general should continue to be accurate. Now, remember, with the overamplification, we definitely are going to have an effect on our systolic. If we perform what's called a square wave test, typically it's fairly obvious. So, number one, we're going to flush the transducer for a few seconds. On an underdampened system, many times when you flush it, you are going to still see some systolic little humps while you're flushing because the system is, again, the gain is turned up so high, it's still able to sense some of the arterial pulsations even though you're flushing fluid through the catheter. The next tip is when you let go, you're going to see that hyper-resonance. What does that mean? You're going to see one, two, maybe even three very deep, quick rebounds, and then it goes back into its arterial reading. And so, again, with an under-dampened system, it's, you're turning the gain up. It's going to be extra loud. You typically are mainly going to see a difference on the systolic amplification. We're going to see... Typically, when you flush, you're not able to totally get rid of your arterial pulsations. And when you let go, you're going to see at least like two to three sometimes little reverberations. And then we return back to our normal uh, arterial waveform. The other kind of way you can see this sometimes in, in these systems is they can, and you'll see it because they'll just be hyper resonant just even like when you touch the arterial line it just has this like incredible sensitivity and that's one of those other small things you see now the converse is called an underdampened system so an underdampened system we are we are turning our gain down too low and so because of this, we're having trouble really picking up the full arterial waveform. And so because of this, you tend to lose your dichrotic notch. A lot of times it's just one little hump. Sometimes what we're going to see in this situation is when we do our flush test and we're flushing, 
Sometimes it is very, very easy to distort, and then as you let go, it actually takes a second or two, and it's still, you got that pressure line at top, and then it finally comes down, but we have no oscillations, and it slowly returns back just to its normal arterial reading. These systems are a bit more obvious to tell. A lot of times the flush might be a little hard. More often than not, you're having a little thrombus at the end of the tube, or it's kind of up against our, our possibly that positioning. It's kinked in the system. Typically, we have one of those situations occurring. You see this a lot in arterial lines that have been in over an extended period of time. We'll talk in a minute about some of our common ways we can treat this. So the important thing to remember is, especially with our over or under dampened systems, because when we're doing this, we are making decisions that it can be really important in terms of our medications for titrating. I think of my time in neuro ICU where, you know, you'd have really tight systolic goals or my, like my time now in CV ICU where we have really specific goals to keep our post-operative patients at, and most of them are systolic goals. And so because of that, the art line waveform, I need to be interpreting it correctly. I need to have the art line set up correctly. And so you really are that gatekeeper in the ICU. So I just really encourage you to just be become really focused on making sure that data is good data. Now, let's talk about troubleshooting. I like to follow a similar troubleshooting system every single time. And, and the biggest issue we typically have is, of course, that time where our arterial line suddenly goes flat and or we have a dramatic decrease in, in amplitude. That's the one we're really worried about most is that sudden change. Because our question is, is this a real hemodynamic status change or is this just the arterial line having an issue? Whenever this happens and I walk in the room, my very first thing I do is I walk to the monitor and I run a blood pressure cuff. I always have a BP cuff on all my patients, and it's just for this reason. Run a cuff because it's gonna take some time and it's gonna give you some decent information. Number two, I like to look directly at the source, which is where the art line enters. So I'm gonna look, for me personally, I start proximal and then I work distal. So for me, I look directly where it's inserted. Is it kinked? Is that individual's wrist bent over? Are they holding their arm in a weird way? Is my is my leg a little bit bent on a, on a fem line? Or did I turn my patient recently to the right and they've got a right fem line? I'm like, okay, maybe there's something there. I think through the next thing as I look at the insertion on my dressing, okay, is it obviously kinked? Is it obviously disconnected? Is something wrong at the insertion side I can see? I make sure my tubing is connected. We have stopcocks at the at really close to our little our extension loop we have. Did the stopcock get turned? Is it kinked there? Sometimes they get kinked. I follow that tubing all the way up to the transducer. I look at the transducer. I make sure it's level. I am then going to flush my A-line and see if it flushes. At the same time as flushing, I like to manipulate the line a little bit too. 
to see if I can change the waveform. And so that's just applying a little traction, moving the arm around at this point, seeing if it is just something positional or really simply affected. A lot of times, if it's positional, just moving the hand to a neutral position, of course, the arm to a neutral position, straightening a leg, a little bit of traction. I'm going to see this. At the same time, I can also flush, and I want to see how the flush feels. One, is it sluggish? If I apply traction, does that help me with my flush? The next thing, too, is when I flush, again, you're doing a square wave test. Is it really underdampened when I flush? Meaning when I let go, that line still takes, stays up high and takes some time to come back. That a lot of times tells me, hmm, I might have some sort of thrombus, a bubble in the system. Maybe I have it up against the arterial wall or something, and it's just not quite able to pick up the system. At this point, you're usually about 30 seconds in, and so you usually have a cuff reading. Now, the nice thing at this point is if you're still having issues with your art line, but your blood pressure cuff either doesn't read or gives you like a map of 30, you go, okay. But, and that's what I like about this. You're able to have about 30 seconds to do this initial obvious assessment and then get a cuff reading. Now, if we obviously have an issue, this is where we go down a different road. But let's say our cuff pressure says, no, we're doing okay. So this is where I kind of go to the next step. So my next step is, okay, more often than not, if I think it's an occlusion, so a thrombus, positioning, or I think maybe I have some air, a bubble in the system. Again, I'm going to flush the system out. Then I like to power flush my line. We have stopcocks on ours, but you can hook up a syringe. I like to hook up a syringe. I like to kind of do pulsatile flushing of a couple mils, pull back, flush again, pull back. I do this a few times back and forth. And a lot of times, if it's an easily cleared thrombus, then sometimes we can kind of get some, some flow restored. Let's say we do this, but we're still having a few issues. The next thing I like to do is let's say we don't think it's clearly a, a thrombus and we've gone through this step and we think maybe it's just positional underneath our dressing. So sometimes what I like to do next too is undress my line. Of course, at this point, we want to make sure that we've, you know, it's very secured when we do this. I like to do that. Sometimes what happens with these lines is they, they get twisted a little bit and it kind of creates a kink. And so sometimes we just need to undo that kink. I've seen some where they had a really steep angle of attack when they went in and then it kind of folded over the skin and creates a little bit of kinking over time. Sometimes too, they're just not straight at the insertion site. So they're kind of coming off to the side. It just needs to be straightened. And I've had some lines too, that they just, you pull them back like a millimeter and then boom, the waveform's perfect. You redress them or you redress them with a little traction and things are going great. I really like the central line CHG impregnated dressings to dress art lines. I think it does a really good job of keeping them from having some of those issues of moving around. Those are some of the steps I like to take. There's obvious things too that we want to check. The other one is the pressure bag. Two common issues are our pressure bag is underinflated, which kind of can mimic a, a over dampened system. 
And so that's something that's important. Also, the fluid in the pressure bag. Remember, if our fluid bag is low, it's not going to be able to flush. And so what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to get a good flush. A lot of times your readings are going to be, again, under or they're going to be kind of over dampened in the system. And so again, check your pressure bag, but also check the fluid bag. Sometimes too, when they get the last like 20 mils in the bag, it can be really hard to tell because the, the pressure bag's nicely inflated and it looks like the fluid's perfect in there. But the reality is it's actually almost out of fluid. And so again, a really common issue with arterial lines. The final thing I wanted to mention is just art line removal. Every unit has a different policy on art line removal, but also art line kind of just, just the way you take care of them. We put central line dressings in most of our long-term arterial lines. I do like to tape my arterial lines multiple times so that if a patient were to pull on it, it's going to be, be pulling on that tape so that I've got at least like two other anchor points. Again, stopcocks. I tape all of my stopcocks. Personally, that's my preference. Uh, just... I've had a couple times where I've seen them get, get twisted and the blood comes out. It's not a big deal. You just turn it off. But it's always a bit of a shock sometimes when families are there. So I like to just not have that happen. And then uh, we personally at our facility change our art line tubing every four days. And I always uh, like to keep my pressure bags. Again, we talked about this before, but make sure that your fluid bags are, are appropriately changed and at the right uh, amount. So art line removal is something that I think everyone has a little bit of a different system to follow. I know that it was interesting because I got trained initially as a float and I got to see different units take art lines out. And so for myself personally, when I, when I remove an arterial line, and this is for brachials or for, for my radial lines, I personally like to use a four by four gauze and I usually use like two of them. And I always personally have taken the line out and applied direct pressure at the site with like three fingers. And I've always held pressure for an absolute minimum of five minutes. I check, I make sure I don't see any kind of signs of bleeding, either external or internal. And then I usually will hold pressure for another two to three minutes minimum. Most of my patients, I'll hold pressure for about 10 minutes a lot of times. There are, there's another school of thought that will pull, so they're removing the line. And so from the insertion site, they are going to be um, on the, the, the upstream side of the artery, as it were. So they're going to actually hold pressure on the artery, kind of like if you did like an arterial sheath removal, where you're going to hold pressure above where that sheath is inserted. Some people will remove art lines like that, leaving the place where it was pulled out exposed, and that's how they'll hold pressure. Now, for myself personally, I just, when I was initially trained, that was not the method that was used. I, I just would hold direct pressure on the site. I do think it's important to remember on a radial artery, it's a bit different. When we think about a brachial artery, you always want to think about not only 
where it inserted, but you want to think about where it inserted into the artery. So with the brachial artery too, again, I actually usually will hold with like three to four fingers. My brachial arteries, I always hold for 10 minutes before checking. And that's something that we've talked about as a unit policy, but it's something that I've always found important. For FEM, A-line removal, I, it's interesting because we had a discussion about this, if we should follow sheath removal protocol from FEM lines, and we actually do not have a, a specific protocol now. What I've done when I've pulled femoral arterial lines is I like to hold for 10 minutes and reassess, and I keep my patient still for an hour after them. Um, I try not to have them get up, move around, and I always try to remind myself that it is a very small catheter but I am very careful when I pull those femoral lines out. And often, again, kind of like a brachial artery, I do hold pressure for a little bit longer. The biggest issue with removing A-lines is that sometimes you're going to start seeing bleeding underneath the skin. And sometimes it'll just look like a little like P-shaped size bleb underneath the skin. And sometimes it doesn't happen for about a minute. That's why I really like to give it about a minute to watch the line to see if that's developing. I'm extra safe, so I like to take two to three four by four gauzes, fold them up, make a little stack, and then I take a uh, tegaderm over it with some decent pressure, not super tight, but tight enough where it's doing a little bit of occlusive pressure. I always come back about five minutes later and check on them. Also, if my patient's pretty awake, I always ask them, hey, just look at it, let me know. I, I tell them, you know, typically don't have re-bleeding. But just let me know if you start to see a little blood on there, and I need to come back and just hold some more pressure. So that's the general gist of arterial line removal, but every facility is going to have different protocols to follow. Well, I hope this episode was helpful to talk about some of the basics of arterial lines. My plan is to do a, a follow-up episode here on blood pressure cuffs in particular, because I think there's a lot of misinformation about how we use blood pressure cuffs effectively. I think they're incredibly useful in critical care. So we'll talk about that, talk about some more hemodynamics. And of course, we're going to continue with the electrolyte series. The next episode will be on calcium. With that, thanks for listening.